All right. Hello and welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, we're so glad that you could be here with us today. My name is Daniel. I'm on the preaching team here at Encounter, and it is an honor and a joy to be able to share the word with you this morning. Hey, if this is your first time at Encounter, or if this is your first time in a long time, welcome. We love having you here. We love worshiping with you. But you also picked a great time to come because we're kicking off a brand new series today called In the Mess, where we take a look at the life of Jacob and some of the stuff that he did, some of the stuff that he didn't do, didn't do to get himself into some messy situations. Um, it's going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to it. But before we get started, it has been brought to my attention that uh, it was Calvin's graduation yesterday. So do we have any members of the graduating class of 2018? Woo! Oh, man. I remember when I was young. <laughs> no, congratulations. Uh, welcome. Welcome to uh, the, the best years of your life are now behind you. You get to join us where, <laughs> where uh, you get to deal with crippling debt, right? That's always fun. You have to deal with real world problems like taxes. Man, I remember when I first got my first uh, like big boy check. It's like, this is like how much I earned and this is how much ended up in my bank account. Man, I became a Republican so fast. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, no, but congratulations. Just don't make the mistake that I did and decide another four years of uh, schooling is going to be a good idea. You'll regret it. You'll get PTSD like I do. Um, speaking of PTSD, here's a crazy story. This was back, probably back when I was like seven or so. Uh, I, was, I was just at home. It was an average evening. My dad was watching the TV. My mom was in the office. I was, I was lounging on the, on the floor with a blanket underneath me, watching, watching TV as well. I think it was Pokemon or something like that. I was seven years old, and all of a sudden, I feel like the ground moving, right? There's something underneath me that's moving. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? Jump up, peel back the blanket, and there's like, and I'm not even exaggerating, like a six-inch lizard looking straight up at me. This is in California, so it's not too uncommon to see lizards, but it's kind of uncommon to see one in your living room underneath your blanket, right? So naturally, I jump up and I run away and I scramble up my dad like, ah, dad, there's a lizard, please kill it. And uh, instead of doing the normal thing of, you know, grabbing the lizard and releasing it outside, my dad decided this was going to be a learning moment um, or a teaching opportunity. So like, or, or, or the moment when, when Daniel becomes a man. So he grabs his lizard and he's like literally chasing me around the entire house like saying, hey, check out this cool lizard. And I'm hysterically crying, running around the house. I run into my room, lock the door, in the corner crying. Meanwhile, my dad is trying to like stuff the lizard underneath the door frame, you know, saying stuff like, how are you going to be a man and not, you know, run away from a little bug like this? I responded with my second grade expletives that I learned at school. I was an angry kid. Um, but <laughs> the entire point of that story is we have family members that are just unlovable sometimes, right? We have messy situations in our lives. We have messy situations within our family. And they're just hard to love sometimes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, Thanksgiving comes around. You know, you have that one uncle 20 seconds into dinner. Ah, this politician, that politician. And you're like, dude, seriously? Uh, you have, you know, your brother or your sister who, you know, it's just like, they're the favorite. The mom and dad love them the most. They always get, you know, the new car and they get a bigger allowance and they get the bigger piece of bacon and whatever it is, they, they always get the favorite. And now you have like resentment towards your parents and towards Jimmy, right? Because Jimmy gets all the love. Like there's messy situations in our family. There's situations that doesn't even have to do with like our actual family, like maybe our church family, right? Like you're, you're in a small group with somebody, you, you don't really like them. Or you're working as a volunteer, Somebody irks you, they don't, they don't pull their weight. 
This is West Michigan, so you don't confront them about it. I, I totally get it. But you still, you know, you still have those ill-intentioned feelings towards them, right? No one needs to know, but this is already a messy situation. You don't want to aggravate it more, make it more messier, so you just stay away from them, stay away from that, that situation. We all have messy situations in our lives. Well, in, in our text today, we're going to meet somebody whose entire life was just was a mess. His entire life, he introduced messes into his own life. It was his own fault that he just like, had a lot of issues to deal with, yet God chose to love him anyways. God chose to do amazing thing, things through him anyways. So if you will, please open up your text to Genesis 25, 19 with me. I love preaching from this text because there's a lot of practical you know, life wisdom you know, for our graduating class and maybe for the rest of us. Genesis 25, 19 is the word of the Lord. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian, and Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. So right off the bat, we have uh, a kind of like a recap of the grand plan of God, right? God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to create this great nation. Through you, you're going to have a son, and that son is going to grow, and it's going to like exponentially grow to like this great nation. More people than you could count the stars in the sky, and this is God's plan, right? And the mantle gets handed over to Isaac, and Isaac's like, all right, Dad, make you proud. And then all of a sudden, him and Rebecca have trouble getting pregnant. Don't you just hate it when that happens? Right? God has this great plan for you, but you feel like you, you're like stuck somehow. Uh, you, you need God to intervene. Isaac had everything going for him. He had the blessing of being the promised one. Rebecca came from a great family. She was healthy. They were both healthy, yet they had issues. They needed God to intervene. They needed God to do something amazing in their lives. How many of us have something that we want or something that we need? Do we have the patience like Isaac and Rebecca to pray for 20 years for something that we feel is, would be good for the kingdom, would be good for our lives? I hope and pray that we do. Isaac and Rebecca did. And after 20 years, God granted them with the child that they wanted. And Rebecca became pregnant. When she became pregnant, she said this in verse 22. The babies jostled each other within her. Within her and she said, why is this happening to me? You know, you kind of read that and you're like, wow, really? You're going to, you know, pray for 20 years and ask for a baby and the second you get one, you're going to start complaining about it? It's easy to rebuke Rebecca in this situation, but the situation is actually a little bit messed up. Um, the actual literal Hebrew text here, if you translate it a bit more woodenly, it says the children smashed themselves inside her. Uh, some lovely image for you uh, this morning from the Bible. But it was a very, very painful pregnancy, Right? It was, it was excruciatingly painful to the point where Rebecca wanted nothing more to, uh, than to be pregnant. And then all of a sudden, it was like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, she's, she's regretting this and she's crying out to God. And God answers back. This is what God says. Two nations are in your womb. That might explain the pain. And two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. I love that last line. The older will serve 
the younger. And this is, this is what I love about the Bible, what I love about the gospel is that this, this, this concept of an upside down kingdom that we see so often in the gospel message with Jesus, right? The, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That concept actually began way from the beginning. It says here that from the very beginning, God said that the older will serve the younger. And we see this throughout the entire Bible. We see this with, at the very beginning with Cain and Abel where God loved the younger Abel. Right? We see this with uh, Isaac and Ishmael where God loved the younger Isaac. We see this in this story with Jacob and Esau where God chose Jacob. We see this in Joseph. He was one of the youngest out of his entire, uh, all of his brothers and God chose him. We see this in Ephraim and Manasseh where God chose Ephraim. We see this in David. King David, the greatest king of all of Israel, was the youngest son of, of them all. And then we see this in uh, Solomon with Solomon and Ad Adonijah. God chooses the weak. God chooses second tier. God chooses people who are undeserving. Your birthright has no weight here. Your social status, your privilege, it all, it all, it all is useless when it comes to the grace of God. Friends, are there times where you feel useless? Are there times where at the end of the day you feel defeated? Good, because that means you're in the perfect place to receive God's grace and God will do amazing things through you for his kingdom, not by your own strength, but by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Continuing on in our text, verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Again, we have some lovely, lovely image, uh, imagery from the Bible. This morning, uh, this baby comes out apparently with more testosterone than me, and it's just covered in hair. It's just a ball of fur, and it's red, all red all around, red hair and everything. So the parents are proud. They're happy. They named the baby Red. That's what Esau means in, in Hebrew. Uh, and then continuing on, verse 26, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth uh, to them. To them. So here's some more great images laden with, with, with great imageries here. So you can talk about this one over lunch. Isaac, uh, Esau is being delivered, and all of a sudden a hand comes flying out and grabs the heel of, of his brothers. Now, this is some great symbolism of what's going to actually happen between these two brothers later on in the story. But this is also some pretty like, good practical advice we see in the Bible where isn't it true that in the best case scenario, people want you to be su successful, they just don't want you to be more successful than them? Right? In the best case scenario, people that you love and care about, they want you to be happy, just not happier than them. They want you to make money, just not more money than them. They want you to have a great family, just not greater than theirs. And that's the best case scenario. You have, you have, the worst case scenario is you have people like Jacob who will literally grab onto your heel and, and pull you back as they claw forward. That's just human nature. That's just something that we're going to have to navigate if we're going to be successful in this life. But that's not the gospel. That's, that's beside the point, right? Jacob grabs Esau's heel, and the parents see that, and they think it's amusing, so they name, uh, they name him the heel grabber. These parents don't get brownie points for creativity. They do get brownie points for being hilarious, though. <laughs> Continuing on, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. 
So here's the confirmation that we already assumed, right? Esau grows up, becomes a mountain man, right? Like he has like a, I don't know, like one of those girdle things on. He has a spear for some reason. Um, does P90X in 45 days, sniffs uh, protein powder and says the word bro too much. You could probably see him before you could actually, you could probably smell him before you could actually see him. You have people, and then, and then you have Jacob on the other end of the spectrum, right? He's a bit, he's the more refined one of the two. He wakes up, makes his Chemex coffee, pour over, avocado toast, browses through Instagram, posts something inspirational, at least something that's inspirational to a 14-year-old. There's a mountain for some reason, right? There's two polar, complete, polar opposite people, but it's still a tragic story, kind of, because Rebecca and Isaac, you know, they wanted to have a kid, but it, end, it ended up dividing the family. I, uh, Isaac went with um, the more masculine uh, Esau who could bring back and provide for a family. Rebecca went with the more feminine Jacob who was a bit more kinder and quieter at, at home. Verse 29, we get into the meat of the story. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, of course he was, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Wait, what? Esau replied, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Uh, I love this part of the story because verse 30, when, when Esau's like, I want some of that. This is like, if you, if you uh, translate it a bit more accurately, this is, this is exactly verbatim what he said. Please let me swallow some of the red stuff, this red stuff, because I am tired, right? You can see by like the way he talks, his cognitive functionalities aren't really up there with Jacob, who's already like planning out like a mischievous scam, like to like get the birthright from his brother, right? In any case, um, this is a great lesson for all of us here today uh, to not really, tr you shouldn't trade in what you want for what you want right away. Right? Esau didn't have the discipline. He was an emotional guy. He saw something, he wanted it right away, and he traded in his birthright for a bowl of soup. And perhaps, you know, the text is telling us today that it might be wise to, to stay away from that, to not trade in what we want for what we want right now. How often have we traded in our self-dignity and self-worth for five seconds of pleasure? How often have we said something as a rebuttal to feel good about, you know, in, in an argument only to learn that that kind of hurt the relationship later on down the road? How often have we ate the delicious, luscious cheesecake to regret it later and find it hard to take it off in the gym? Verse 34. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentils too. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Can anybody guess why? Because it's not his anymore, right? He just traded it away for a bowl of soup. And, 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 and Jacob, the opportunist, sw uh, swung in and took it for himself. And this is just going to introduce a lot more mess in his life, as you'll see later on in this series and later on in his life. Jacob continuously and repeatedly introduces messes into his life over and over again. At one point, you could even consider that Jacob was an enemy to God because of the, because of the decisions that he decided to do. It reminds us of 
some of the words that Paul wrote in Romans 5, 10. Where Paul writes, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Jacob was God's enemy. But God still chose to do some pretty amazing things through Jacob's life anyways. God took Jacob and gave him 12 sons. Those 12 sons would go out to lay the foundation for the nation that we now know as Israel. Israel would become a great nation and one of the greatest kings in the Israelite nation was David. And King David, he was the great, 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 great grandson of Jacob, who in turn became the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ himself. God took a messy situation that is Jacob's entire life and included him in the genealogy of Jesus Christ who would come to save all of us. And if he could do that with the mess that is Jacob's life, he can do that in our lives today. How, many, how, how often can we relate with Jacob and see ourselves in issues where we find ourselves being the enemy of God, where we find ourselves just lucky to not be struck by lightning walking into church this morning? Yet God, in Romans, says that while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Through the death of Christ, but more importantly, the resurrection, we have hope again that God too will use us to do amazing things in his life. Right? We come to God and we say, I'm not adequate enough. I'm not good enough. And God's saying, stop trying to fix yourself, man. That's not your job. That's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. I'm the healer. Let me take control of your life. I want to do amazing things with you. I want to do amazing things through you. Let's go change the world together. But how often do we see ourselves saying, hey, if, we, if I just fix these three things about my life, if I just don't do these three sins, then I would be, I would be the perfect Christian. Or if I just started practicing these three spiritual disciplines, God would use me more to do amazing things for his kingdom. Except throughout the entire Bible, that, could be, that couldn't be further from the truth. That's, how, that's, how, that's not how any of this works. We see, we see Jesus, right? We see Jesus approach Peter, reckless Peter, who before his crucifixion pulls out a sword and starts chopping off people's ears when the entire Roman guard is there. You know how crazy that is? That's like if a bunch of cops came to arrest you and like you pulled out a gun on them. Reckless Peter, Jesus looked into his eyes and says, on this rock, I will build my church. That reckless Peter, 24 hours later, when asked, hey, do you know that man? He said, I don't know who Jesus is. He didn't have any part of my life. No idea who you're talking about. I'm out. And Jesus still looked at Peter and chose him and loved him and made him the first pope ever. If Jesus could do that in Peter's life, I have to believe that Jesus can do that in our lives as well. Right? Jesus looked at Paul, and before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And Saul made it his life mission to persecute Christians, to kill Christians, put Christians into prison. And Jesus said, no, you're done doing that. You're coming with me. We're going to do something amazing for, for the church. You're going to go out and you're going to plant churches. And he started 20 of them. You know how hard it is to start one? He started 20 of them all around the Mediterranean and it set the foundation for what we now know as, as the early church of which Christianity grew and cultivated in. Jesus takes, God takes broken, finite people, B-tier, second-tier people, people's names who, who are on the bottom of the list and, and chooses to do something amazing with them like you and me and Jacob and my dad with his lizard. 
God still chooses to do amazing things through him too. Friends, I can't help you but tell you the story about, about Kevin. It's, it's a very famous story. You probably know him. Kevin is one of those people that just, just came in with a lot of mess, family mess in his life. When he was six months old, he was adopted. 12 years later, the adopted parents divorced. Before this picture was taken, he had introduced a baby daughter into the world who was born prematurely and had spent eight weeks in the incubator. Those eight weeks, eight weeks later, Kevin racked up a quarter million dollar hospital fine, bill, fine, same thing. He didn't know how he was going to pay back for it. So he decided to pay a visit to the Golden Gate Bridge. He got to the Golden Gate Bridge, somewhere where he'd never been before, and he stepped up to the railing and he was jumping over when he heard a voice come up to him, shot out behind him, hey, wait a minute. It was Officer Briggs. You see Officer Briggs, he's the one above Kevin, he's talking to him. And for 92 minutes, Officer Briggs listened to Kevin. He poured into Kevin. He showed Kevin compassion. He didn't judge Kevin when even he had all of the right, right to do so. And later on, Kevin would recall with these words. He says, out of those 92 minutes, I spent 89 just taking, just talking and getting everything out. He listened without judging and hope came back. I put up my arms and he and another officer helped me up back over the railings. I have since become a suicide prevention advocate, encouraging people to talk through their problems rather than think about ending their lives. I know that depression is a part of me, but not who I am. I have three children and a new partner with whom I will spend the rest of my life. Now is the happily ever after. Friends, do you ever find yourself over a bridge where it's dark and hopeless? Let God pick you up and bring you over and give you new life. When you feel broken and defeated, the Holy Spirit is whispering to you that He still has a plan for you. He still wants to do great things through you. He still wants to do great things to you and that there is hope once again. In the, in the power and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope. Do you, have an, do you have a family member that is hard to love? Are you the family member that is hard to love? Do you struggle loving yourself? Do you have a wayward child? Is your problem sitting next to you right now? Friends, Christ is inviting us to choose love even when it doesn't make sense because he chose love for us even when it didn't make sense. Will you rise and pray with me? Father God, we just come before you broken, second tier, fallen, undeserving of your grace, undeserving of your love, yet you choose us to do great things for your kingdom anyways, Lord God. We come in with a lot of baggage. We come in with a lot of mess. And sometimes we feel like we're inadequate, but the Bible tells us that that is the perfect position to be in order to experience your grace and experience your love. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us, through whom we find hope once again to go forward with strength and power, not through what we can do,
but what you do through us and in us. As we go forward in this week, give us the strength and the reassurance that you will see us through as you did for so many before us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.